0: The big corporate job and the corner office up high, overlooking the city, or you started your own business to earn more, to provide better for your family, and to have more time freedom. Now you're working 24-7 and the family you love is running a distant second behind the corporate or entrepreneurial mistress. How do you gain work-life balance and prioritize your marriage and family when you are the corporate CEO or entrepreneurial business owner? Today, my guest, Robert and Kaylee Fukui, have lived out this journey, and they're here to share some practical strategies to make marriage and family life work better together with the business and not at cross Purposes. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Robert earned his marketing degree from San Jose State University and experienced 25 successful years in sales and marketing with companies such as Coca Cola, Novartis Pharmaceutical, and Bristol Myers Squibb. Playing instrumental roles in the launch of six major brands, Robert was directly responsible for more than 150 million in revenue, and he therefore received national sales and leadership awards. His business acumen enables him to help family businesses build more profitable, efficient, and sustainable companies. Kaylee Fukui earned her business degree from the University of Laverne in Laverne, California. She worked in the banking industry for many years and in her family business as operations manager for more than 10 years before meeting the love of her life, Robert. She understands the highs and lows of running a family business and the sacrifices the owners make, often at the expense of marriage and family. Her passion is to see marriages flourish in the midst of building profitable businesses and to help entrepreneurial couples understand that they don't have to sacrifice the marriage and family for the business. Together, they are the co-founders of I-61 Incorporated, a business consulting company, and they've developed an innovative consulting program, Power Couples by Design which equips the married entrepreneur to build a thriving marriage and a prosperous business. They believe profit plus purpose equals transformation. They are the authors of the book, Tandem, The Married Entrepreneur's Guide for Greater Work-Life Balance. So Robert and Kaylee, welcome to The Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership.
1: Hey, Thanks, Dr. Karen. It's a privilege and honor to to be on.
2: Yes, thank you. We're so excited.
0: Well, I'm really excited to have you on the show as well. And we're just going to dive right in because I know you have a lot to share with the people who are listening today. First of all, let me just say this. I know that both of you came from families where there really were some struggles with work-life balance. So this is not a foreign issue for you. You saw it in your childhood. Robert, your father was a pastor. And Kaylee, your father was an entrepreneurial business owner. So what did you see in your childhood and in your experience in childhood that informs you about the subject of work-life balance today?
1: Well, yeah, as you said, my dad was a pastor, so you might think that, you know, that's different than having being a business owner. But as we talked about in our pre-meeting, that it's the same, that running a church and running a business is, is very much the same thing. I mean, when it is a 501c3, which is a corporation, right? So when you look at the financial statements and the balance sheets… There really is no difference if you didn't know if it was a for-profit or non-profit organization. And there's all the challenges. You've got the operational side, you got staff, and then you've got your customers, which is your congregation. And to me, growing up, what we saw was there's actually higher expectations from pastors to be available. It's almost like being a doctor on call every week, every every, every day of the week, right, 24-7. And so, certainly he had the passion for the ministry, which he should have. I mean, he was called into the ministry, especially from his background, growing up in a Buddhist family. But that passion also, what happens is, just like a business owner, it kind of floods over or bleeds over into the family life because that passion is all dedicated into the ministry, kind of like the business owner, into the business. And inevitably, the family life, the family takes a back seat, not intentionally, intentionally. But because he's doing God's work, he feels everything that he's doing around the ministry is God, right? Is for God. But at the end of the day, it's still work. And so what happens is there's no balance. There's no work-life balance between ministry and home. And so as a child growing up, you know, I just kind of felt that, that, you, you know, he wasn't always there when you wanted him to be there. You know, we didn't take a whole lot of vacations. And there's always, you know, after dinner, as always, he goes back into his office to, to pray and meditate and all that. So... We didn't see a whole lot of them sometimes, right? And so, you know, it's great to have that passion for the business or in her case, the ministry. At the same point, you know, not having t- having a family take a back seat it really hurts the family culture.
0: Absolutely. So you know about this firsthand. How about you, Kaylee? What did you see?
2: Some of the challenges for our family was the business became the mistress. My dad would work six days a week, sometimes take on a second job. And it seemed like when things were challenging at work, the attitude was, we got to put more time in. And so as kids, a lot of times, at least in my family, we just wanted our dad to be home and play with us, hang out. And to this day, I don't even know if my dad made it to my high school graduation. I really think he was working. So it just put a lot of stress on the family and on my mom raising four strong-willed children by herself. So it was challenging.
0: So when you think back to your childhoods, both of you, what were some of the things that you said, hmm, I'm very inspired now to be a business owner myself or to be a pastor myself? Or did you say, no, I don't want this? How did you leave out of childhood? What was the story you told yourself?
1: Yeah, this is ironic because I said, I don't want to be a pastor. right. (laughs) Right. because I saw what I was going through. And the next thing you know, I'm becoming a business owner, which as we're kind of talking about, they do the same thing. (laughs) So so it's kind of (laughs) ironic. I don't want to be in ministry. So I'm going to go into business, right? You think that's going to be the solution when it really wasn't.
0: (laughs) So you jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. How about you, Kaylee? What
2: were you saying to yourself? You know, I always saw Robert as an entrepreneur from when I met him and I even said something to him about it. And he's like, oh my gosh, you're crazy. No. And so, cause when you're raised in that environment, you just think people are entrepreneurs cause you meet so many of them. So I wasn't surprised being and wanting to have a business with Robert. It was more like the things we didn't want to do since I had been raised in it. I, I, Love hanging out with my husband and being with him, but I wanted him to also be able to have time for us to do things and have fun and have some balance in our life.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, so often what I see in the business world today, particularly in family owned businesses, is that the children, the next generation don't want to take the business over because they see all the sacrifices that their parents have made and they don't want that for themselves. They don't want that for their children. And so it becomes quite a dilemma.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see that quite a bit. In fact, it's very common. The first thing we do, or one of the first questions we ask when we engage a new client is, what's your succession plan? And do the kids play a part in that role, regardless of their age? Because sometimes they're older and sometimes they're already working the business, but sometimes they're still toddlers, right? But we're still asking that question because we want them to envision what they want. And a lot of times, like especially the kids that are in kind of teenage to in their twenties, we've heard a lot of times where they said, "Oh, the kids aren't going to want to take it over. They don't want any part of the business." So the question is, why? <laughs> right? It's why, and inevitably, it comes down to the fact that they're pretty resentful. You can tell that the kids are just resentful of the business because, as Kaylee says, it's the mistress in the relationship. It's a thing. It's the boundaries that wall between mom and dad and being having relationship with them so the resentful the business which means they don't want to take part of their business and so that's where some of the the healing and the planning has to has to happen in that and we've seen it turn around so it's not like just because they say no now doesn't mean it's no forever we've actually seen it turn around we see one of our clients two of the kids that she said would not work in the business are now both working in the business
0: it does make a difference if you have a pathway forward that makes more sense and where you really can have the life balance, Mm -hmm. now it's worth taking a look at. Now, if it's just going to drain you dry, then of course, you don't want to have anything to do with it. And of course, I know that the two of you are coming alongside families, couples, and people in business so that they can have better outcomes. So before we get into a lot of that, let me ask this too. Robert, I know that you spent a lot of time in the corporate world. You had a lot of very significant corporate jobs. So what was it that prompted you to leave the corporate world to even enter the entrepreneurial space? And I know that Kaylee says she saw something in you to, to encourage it as well. So tell us a little bit about that transition for you.
1: Yeah, when, when I met Kaylee, there was I, I never thought about even dreamed about having a business because my dad was just his words of wisdom were, you know, stay out of debt, get an education, and get a job. <laughs> a good job, right? Um, so that's what I was doing. I had a, a great corporate job, had a lot of benefits and all that. So I was totally satisfied with that. But when I got into my mid 40s, I really started questioning about, I guess this is what happens, right? As you get older, you start questioning about what do you want to do for the rest of your life. What do i want to be when i grow up and is it supposed to be this or am i supposed to be doing something different that's at the at the time when the church we we're going to was talking about the seven mountain mandate and talking about really being having impact and influence in your sphere of influence or in your sphere which means for me it's in a business world is in a business sector so i started thinking about well what kind of influence and impact do i want to make do i want to keep going climbing up the corporate ladder and really help this corporation or another one or I started to entertain the idea of helping a lot of small family businesses because majority of business in America consider small family business, right? It's about 80 to 90% statistically based on SBA. And so I thought with my business background and acumen and my heart for business and people that I guess my pastoral background that I could see making an impact with a variety of businesses. That not just impacts the bottom line, but impacts families and lives. And so that's when I started to entertain the idea of leaving the corporate job and, and being a consultant.
0: So one of the things I'm hearing is that just like with most people, it's a question of where can I really do something that's meaningful and have an impact that makes a difference for other people and right. really going for purpose in a sense, right. in terms of what you were focusing on in terms of the entrepreneurial endeavor is right. what I'm hearing. So if I think about both of you and in your case, Robert, coming from that corporate background and Kaylee, in your case, coming from the entrepreneurial business background, and you worked in the business also with your dad, I understand too. What are some of the lessons that you both learned from those past experiences, entrepreneurial lessons, corporate lessons that you even bring forward today and how you come alongside other business leaders?
2: i've learned that and we help our clients with this all the time that it isn't necessarily putting in more time because a lot of times like robert was in the corporate world so they have a lot of training a lot of seminars conferences all the time and in the business world we're just trying to do the day-to-day stuff and we don't necessarily have the time to take all these classes to be good at all these things to keep brushing up on our skills so we're just trying to put out fires and so the good thing about when Robert can come in with all the skills that he learned from the corporate and help small businesses get to the next level.
1: When I start, my first job out of college was with Coca-Cola. And, you know, I'm I'm fired up, right? I'm in my young 20s and I want to succeed and all that. And I'm looking around the business office and I see the sales team, the executives, and all these high-profile people and all these achievers. And they're doing well. They're succeeding on paper, you know, professionally. But I also noticed a lot of them, their family life was just suffering. Some of them, some of the executives were in their third marriages, right? And so I'm looking at this, and I am I learned a lot by obs- just about observation. And I'm looking, I'm like, I don't want that. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want to achieve at the sake of family, because if your family life suffers, if you don't have a relationship, You're really sad, right? You can have all the money bank in the world, but if you don't have any relationships that mean anything, then it means nothing. And so that's when I was really intent upon, like, yes, I want to achieve, but I got to make sure that my relationships are intact. And at that time, I was actually just got married to my my kind of childhood sweetheart. And one of the things we talked about was that we don't want to wait till retirement to have fun. Let's have fun now, even while we're planning for the future and saving for the future and investing and all that. But we want to make sure we're enjoying the moment, enjoying the journey. And so and too many times people aren't enjoying the journey. They want to get to a, a point and then they'll start to enjoy. Well, thank God we started implementing that from day one because five years into our marriage and just last week, it was a 20 year anniversary. She got into a car accident on her way to work and died at the scene. So literally ten minutes from our house, right here, I kissed her goodbye for the day. She drove down ten minutes down the freeway. She gets in an accident, dies at the scene. In an instant, my life changed. There was no long goodbyes. There's no last words. At least you know that those kind of intentional last words. And so thinking back, I was like, you know, in a moment, your life can change. And so you hear this, but you never think it's going to happen to you. And so we you know you hear that that life's tomorrow's not guaranteed well in my case it wasn't and i saw that and i said that just reinforced moving forward what we're doing now is like look literally tomorrow's not guaranteed and I sh- i know firsthand and so you want to enjoy the journey yes you want to plan for the future but you got to enjoy the journey otherwise when you get to your destination it may not be worth getting to
0: absolutely and you know it's interesting you mentioned <clears throat> having something unfortunate and tragic like what you described, like your spouse dying in a car wreck and suddenly it's a reminder of the fragility of life and the fact that we really don't have as much time as we sometimes think that we do. Mm -hmm. And I know in my own life, my mother died at a young age. She was about, well, I consider her younger younger than I am now, but she was 64 when she died. And so, one of the lessons that I learned from her because she actually promoted this all along the way is she said, you know, don't just wait for retirement. Yeah. You know, enjoy your life as you go along, and she said to in my case, I work so hard. She said, "You make sure you have multiple vacations built into your year because you're gonna need that. you know, don't just wait once a year and and do some big thing. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. both are talking about that same principle or concept mm-hmm. or idea. You live as you go, mm-hmm. you don't wait to live in essence, and so yeah. I think that's a really important strategy that you guys are mentioning mm-hmm. right now, absolutely,
1: absolutely." Mm-hmm.
0: Kaylee, anything else you want to say on that before we go to another topic?
2: Well, and I think too, you have to be, we help our clients. You have to be really intentional about what that's going to look like for you as a couple, because it's going to look, I'm sure you're and your husband's going to look completely different than Robert and I. So just be intentional, write that down, have your vision together, talk about these things, dream about it.
0: You know, a lot of people forget the importance of dreaming about it. And sometimes because they can't see it. They don't think the dream is possible and Mm -hmm. you said two things one first of all conceive it in your mind dream it and then you know write it down plan for it that's an important part of the process it sounds like in terms of getting to where you really want to be is what i'm hearing as well
1: yes intentional is a key word in fact that's my year for 2023 (laughs) intentional yeah
0: all right intentional excellent So let me bring up something else. And Kaylee, you kind of alluded to this earlier. A lot of business owners think that and leaders think that working harder is the answer to get through the business challenges. And here's my question. Why is working harder not the solution? And what does it mean to work smarter?
2: Well, just because you're putting in more time does not mean you're being more productive and you're not putting time in on the right things with time margin of time. There can be a lot of different things you can put into place. You know, maybe you need to automate something. We have like the Calendly system that we use. Maybe you need to delegate something. Is this something that you're not good at and you hate doing? Maybe it's time to give that to somebody else. And there's what things do we need to say no to? I mean, sometimes it depends what season you're in. It might be things that you love. But you just don't have the time to do it right now. And so you have to kind of put that on pause. And that's okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, if the growth of the company is tied to your time and ability and your capacity, then it's self-limiting. Right? Because you only have 24-7. So even if you work 24-7, there's still a capacity, a limitation to the growth of your business. And so time isn't the answer. It's how do you leverage time? How do you multiply time? And you do that by a number of ways. That's Kaylee outlined. And so it's just like that old adage, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, then you go together with other people, right? And so it's so important to understand how to maximize your time. Where is the most productive use of your time? And with the other stuff. Because we get bogged down with a lot of day-to-day, and that's what really kills and limits our growth of the business because we get bogged down so much with the day-to-day. And I think the statistics are about 65% of the business owner's time is on in the business activity versus on the business activity. The on the business is the big stuff, the big things that can move the business forward. The in-the-business activities are all just the day-to-day operational things like emails and invoicing and all that kind of stuff that needs to be done, but it doesn't necessarily move the business forward on the, in the long term. And so how to really maximize that by focusing more time on the business activities and with the business activities, how do you automate, delegate or eliminate?
0: Yeah, I love that because I know with the corporate clients I work with and I work mostly on the corporate side, I do have some entrepreneurial business clients as well and family business clients on the corporate side. As they go along in their journey, they have to learn how to delegate and how to leverage time by using other people's abilities you know in order to make things work i find that on the entrepreneurial side they may not have exercised that muscle as much or as often along the way and so let's talk about that a little bit what are some of the things that stand in the way for some leaders to really delegate to other people and to work through others rather than to try to do everything themselves
1: well i think it's that fear of letting go of control I mean, that's what it really boils down to, because as an entrepreneur, you start the business either by yourself or with a small team. And so you are wearing multiple hats. And so as your business is growing and the need to delegate more tasks, there's that fear of nobody else can do it as good as you. And so there you go. (laughs) And even if it's not tasks that you're really excellent at anyway, like invoicing, for example, Your gift may not be on some of the details of that, but you just have, you've been used to doing it. And so the fear of somebody else that's probably has a higher gift of administration to do it, they're probably going to do it a little bit differently, but it's probably going to be more efficient. But because of the fact it's different, you have a fear of that. (laughs) So, So just the fear of letting go of control and knowing that, again, what are your strengths and where you should focus on? And the other stuff, let people that are just better skilled and gifted at it, do it and really letting them go do it and don't get in their way.
0: I think that is so huge. By the way, I'm thinking of people right now that I know who they bring in people who have the ability to do it, but because they do it differently, they think about different as wrong, as opposed to different is just different. And as you're saying, Robert, different is often better. I mean, I'd much rather have someone come in and do IT related things in my business, because that is not my (laughs) gifting whatsoever. It's going to take me forever. And I'm probably going to mess up something that Mm -hmm. has to cost a fortune to unscramble. So I am personally delighted when I can pass on tasks that other people like to do and that they're more gifted at than I am. And you're right. Sometimes that's hard for people to let go and to let others excel, even if they're doing it in a different way.
1: Yeah. And then he finds it's kind of comical sometimes watching this, but they hire somebody to do the work and then they go behind their back and then do it over or do some kind of micromanaging. So now they're doing, they've paid somebody to do the work, but you're still doing it. So, so it's like, it's like such a waste of resources and time to, to do that. And so we just have to point that out to to our clients and go, you know, you're paying somebody to do that, but then you're doing it anyway. I go, what, you, exactly. what good is that? Right,
0: right. Did you hire the right people? Kaylee, it sounds like you wanted to weigh in on this too.
2: Well, and then the people, the employees are going to end up leaving. If you're going to micromanage them and not give them any freedoms at all to be creative and to be themselves, they're going to be like, this is just not working. You know what I mean? Who wants to work for somebody like that? Mm -hmm. Even in the corporate, you know?
0: It's so true. So we know that one of the ways that businesses scale is really by working through other people that they're hiring who have the talents and gifts to do the work that they're being hired for. So that's one piece. And you both have identified some of the pitfalls along the way, such that leaders may not delegate or may not use the talent that they're bringing in, you know, for this purpose. You both also talk about the fact that entrepreneurial leaders especially will struggle to create I guess I'd call it a money margin you know money margin in the business Mm -hmm. so what are some of the key mistakes that people make about money that keeps them stuck on what I call the hamster wheel because they're not really being as prosperous as they would like to be and it's because they're making certain decisions so what's going on with that what have you seen?
1: Yeah. So, you know, since my background is marketing and sales, you know, early in my consulting career, they were hiring me for marketing and sales consulting, basically. And they're always thinking that more sales, more volume was the answer to their profit issues. But without going into too much detail, it's really a margin issue. So what happens is because they're so conditioned to work on volume, they figure whatever price you set, even if it's a lower price than the value of the product and service, as long as they sell enough, they're going to make their bottom line goals. That's the thinking. That's not a fact. It's that when their margins are so small, they have to work on so much volume. But because at some point when your volume starts to exceed your current capacity, you have to add on expenses to, to handle more volume to try and get the profits you need. So when you're, you're talking about the hamster wheel, so they're, they're constantly chasing volume. And they keep talking about volume, volume, volume. And I keep telling them, no, it's margin. <laughs> it's like if you're working on volume that means you're just working harder and harder and harder. We just had a client this year that in 2 years they grew 86%. But their net profit grew from 0.86% to 1.2%. So an 86% increase in sales volume barely moved the needle on the bottom line. So I said it's not a volume issue because how much <laughs> how much volume how much more growth do you need to see to get a 10% net profit, which I feel is sufficient, is a healthy net bottom line. So think about that. You grew 86% to move the needle, a fraction of a percentage point. So how much do you need to grow in order to move the bottom line to 10%? So it's pretty much an impossible task. And so really it's margin. How do we increase the margin between your sales and expenses? And that's a variety of pricing and, and trying to control costs. But pricing in small business, pricing is the number one fear that people don't price themselves appropriately because they fear they're not going to get the customers they need.
0: having to think outside the box a little bit about this rather than to be volume oriented, which is what I call being the low-cost leader. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you really have to think more from a values based mindset Absolutely. about the value that you're bringing in the business and to the marketplace, and to be thinking about the fact that there's a way that you're doing something that's benefiting that client out there that maybe the competitors aren't even doing and that's Mm -hmm. valuable if the clients want what that is. And if they Mm -hmm. don't, you've got to discover what is that distinctive that we have Mm -hmm. that somebody wants and that's worth something.
1: Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. It's really, what is the value you provide that the others aren't? And there's always, regardless of business and industry, There's always something that the specific business owner provides that's a little bit better than everybody else in the marketplace. You just got to identify what that is. And then the second thing is then identify the customer that values that Mm -hmm. and make that's the target market, right? But the typical small business approach is that cast a wide net. And because of that, they have to start pricing themselves low because they don't really understand their own value, which means they can't connect to the right customer. And so you try to produce a lower cost to try and get as many people as you want. And that's just a losing proposition. And that's what causes them to have to work harder. It's how
2: many times has our favorite product or food or restaurant or service gone out of business? And we would have been willing to pay more for it. It's just so sad.
0: It is sad because that company didn't realize or recognize that they really did have a target market out there who so valued what they were offering that they would pay the extra for that. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. I mean, I think a lot of businesses really don't get this. They don't understand it. And that is what keeps them on the hamster wheel. They're not making the wisest money choices and decisions. And as you correctly identified, it's fear-based. In a lot of ways, and then sometimes they're thinking more of what I'll call that word competitive, and and you know the competitive advantage. And I like to use creative advantage because when you are operating from the sweet spot of what you do best, you really don't have competitors. Correct, <laughs> so correct exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. In fact, that's where a lot of businesses go wrong is they start to compare themselves against the competition. But they're usually inevitably what they're doing is comparing their strengths to your weakness. Right? Because they're doing something better than you for sure, but you're doing something better than them. But you're not, you're not looking at that. You're comparing their strength to your, your weakness. And so that's what then brings their cost, their price down, because they go, well, we need to price ourselves a little lower because they're better at this service than what we're doing, versus looking at what are you good at? <laughs> right exactly. and then somebody's going to pay what you need to charge for that value or that that advantage right and so it's really recognizing your strength and then connecting with the, with the customer purposely when we have a new client that's in a, an industry we have not worked with i purposely do not look at the competition because that biases my opinion about that our client i don't want to know about the competition i want to know about you I want to know what you do well and what you bring to the marketplace and help you identify your strength to the target market. Once I start looking at the competition, i will start biasing my own opinion. Right. So, comparison is really a dangerous game. I love the fact that you
0: said that because you really want them operating from what their unique gifts and talents are. And, you know, so often I see people, they end up doing what I call they're paying their clients. In order to work for their clients, (laughs) because maybe they're producing something that's really high end and it's very valuable. And because they then put a lower price tag on it, it costs them to make it. And the client doesn't Mm -hmm. understand the value of it either in that case. And so now they're still on the hamster wheel and they're training the client to think that this is what that thing is worth when, in fact, it's worth a whole lot more.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely, and so what we're talking about, even from the business planning and strategy perspective, the kind of the mistakes or the missteps you make in business and pricing and marketing and all that is causing you to work harder.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely, right? talked about
1: margin, volume versus margin, you know, pricing to the competitor's strengths versus your own strength. Exactly, all of those business decisions that you make, it's it's really mostly out of out of ignorance, just not knowing what you don't know. Mm -hmm. right you're just doing what you know how to do and you're just reacting um instead of maybe getting some good counsel around different aspects of your business so that's why in in proverbs you know with many counselors they succeed i mean that's there's there's wisdom in that god number one but there's also wisdom within the people that you know
2: well and when you want to be the lowest prices out there you don't know when you're comparing your product to somebody else's you don't even know if that other person's making a profit you're just going pricing yourself upon where they're at and want to be lower. So,
0: Yeah, and it's been my experience that customers and clients out there, if they're really getting a good product and a great service, that's worth something in today's marketplace. And so helping uh, business leaders to see that is quite valuable. You know, there's another part of your business that I want to mention, and that is that um, you... As a couple, you're working with the clients that you are working with so that they can be more together or in tandem, if you will, to prioritize their marriage and their family even while they're doing all this business stuff in a small way, the two of you are almost like little marriage counselors, a marriage therapist, and you have to focus a lot on that communication between the, the, the spouses in the business. So tell us a little bit about what you've seen and what you've observed in that pseudo marriage counselor role.
1: Yeah, i, I never in a million years would have thought I'd be doing this. <laughs> Doctor Karen. I just crack up, go, how did I get here? But when you take a step back, the things that we do with with couples, the communication and conflict resolution, it's stuff I dealt with in the corporate environment and just with business consulting in general. Communication, conflict resolution is needed in every facet of life in any type of relationships, business to client to customers, to vendors, to employees, right? There's going to be those opportunities for communication breakdowns and conflict. So knowing how to do those well, knowing how to do those things well for the benefit of both all parties is crucial for your business so it's just a transferable skill really so yeah you look at it as kind of business or marriage coaching and counseling in a sense and it it basically is but really all we're doing is transferring the skill that's needed in business and bring it at home right as a business owner you want to make sure you resolve the conflict with your customer right? Otherwise, you don't have a business. <laughs> exactly. but, for some, but for some reason at home, it's not as important. You know, it's, it's, We don't think of it as important at home. So it's really bringing that skill that's useful in business and bringing it home too. But yes, we, we do get into some really kind of interesting, comical sometimes conversations. But when they get it, it's it's so beneficial because at the end of the day, that's what we want, right? We want healthy marriages while you're succeeding in business. We want the marriage to be priority because that is a God-given priority, number one, right? It's God, family, and business. So we want to make sure that family is the number one over the business and that you both can thrive, both can prosper at the same time. It's just being very intentional about how you go about doing life.
0: What are some examples of maybe some of the common communication issues that might pop up and that you really have to help people to walk through in order for their their marriage to be successful and the business to be successful. It's not either or. There really can be a both and.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it comes to mind, one of our clients, uh, he was saying he didn't feel like his wife was supporting him. And she's like, what do you mean I'm not supporting you? i make you lunch every day. I go do, do all this. And she had a whole list of stuff she does. But to come to find out when they did the DIS profile, his idea of support was emotional support. He wanted to know, like, she was gonna encourage him, she was gonna be there for him. Like what she was doing at her corporate job all day long, she was doing that kind of thing. And she's like, That's what she wanted. And but they were always arguing because they were needing or wanting two different things. She was thinking, Oh, he I just have to back his lunch. And you know, and he's like, No, I need some emotional support. So that was one of the huge things that
1: yeah, and I think what that comes down to is assumptions. The conflicts was based on assumptions in this case she was assuming his needs were something different than what he wanted <laughs> but they were never able to really communicate that until we sat them down and communicated what do you need how do you feel loved basically right if you use the five languages of love how do you feel loved then once you know that they're different <laughs> then you say oh okay i can do that because so the ironic thing with this case is um the wife was a, a nurse educator so she, her job at work was encouragement right, the shoulder to cry on, the empathy and all that. And that's exactly what her husband needed, but she felt the acts of service <laughs> was going to be given the support he wanted, and it really wasn't. So all that really says, really comes down to the communication, just how to get rid of and clarify the assumptions. And that's where most arguments really stem from, are just assumptions. And a lot of times we can be saying the same things, but meaning totally different things. We even had a little argument, kind of a fun argument around green chilies. She thought I was talking about the bowl of chili, like the fire fire cook-off. I was talking about the vegetable green chili. So we had an argument with green chili because she didn't understand what I was talking about because I'm talking vegetables. She's talking the dish.
2: (laughs) March, which is St. Patty's Day. You know how they make everything green, like the beer and cabbage and anything you can think of. They put the food coloring in. So I thought that's what he was talking about, the color. (laughs)
0: I think there's a great example, by the way. I love the green chili example, because when each person is speaking from their side, they just know that they understand what the other person is talking about. And they're really you know like dude, totally messed- tonight <laughs> <laughs> you know you really don't know what the other person is talking about but you don't know you don't know what the other person is talking about and as you've correctly identified this causes a lot of conflict so just it sounds like just getting the entrepreneurial couple the business couple to sit down with each other and to have these conversations that they may not always have that that's helpful in and of itself in yeah. terms of identifying, where they may be misunderstanding one another. And nine times out of 10, I'll put it this way God has brought them together because they really do have complementary gifts. They just haven't seen it yet because they're missing each other.
1: So that's kind of the ironic thing we talk about is because, you know, opposites attract, like they say, right? And when you're in the dating mode, it's really attractive. The opposites really attract. But for some reason, the minute you say, I do, it becomes an irritation point. <laughs> whatever happened i don't know what happened but as soon as you say i do now all of a sudden what's endearing is now really irritating <laughs> and, so, and so it's really going back to you know the beginning is like observing why you fell in love and that the things that were different about your spouse is actually not just attractive but it's complementary in life And just like in business you don't hire someone for it that has the same skills and gifts as you, Dr. Karen, right? Because otherwise oh, no. things will blow up. They so won't you, be able to do <laughs> it right. either. So you hire somebody that's a little different <laughs> because they have a skill, a gift that's opposite of you. And, and so how do you work with that? Same thing in marriage, it's the same thing. We we use the opposition or the opposites, the the con, or not, yeah, the yeah, the opposing skill and gift as a source of conflict, where it really should be a source of complementary and, and synergy.
2: When you start looking at it that way, it comes in really handy because Robert's really detailed and used to drive me nuts. And I'm like, oh, now that I've embraced him being so detailed, it comes in handy. I'm like, oh, honey, can you look this over because I know you're really detailed to make sure it looks okay as opposed to rubbing me the wrong way.
1: Yeah, now I got more jobs to do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> or as I say, you know, a couple covers more of the waterfront together when they have these different skills, yeah. because if you both are covering the same area, mm-hmm. there's a part of the waterfront that nobody's covering, and that's really being, just you've got a flank that's a, that's vulnerable out there. And, and my mm-hmm. husband and I, we're very opposite. I've enjoyed it over the years to see how that works out and so on, and also, you don't get in each other's way. Like I'm kind of a public person and I'm a speaker type person. He's quiet. He's more behind the scenes. He's not trying to do what I'm doing and I'm not trying to
2: do what he's doing. So it works out real well.
1: That's good. That's good.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's it's great. You're not trying to change each other. You accept each other for who you are and you embrace that and step into our gifting as a couple that you can do a lot more together when you're on the same page.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. So let me ask this question. So when you think about your own marriage and the complementarity that you've described that's in it, how do you put that together to then benefit the couples that you work with to get them on the same page? And when have there maybe been some times when maybe the two of you weren't so much in sync and you are went, how are we going to help this couple? So tell us maybe a little story about maybe on both sides.
1: Yeah, when we were testing out this idea of helping couples in business or married entrepreneurs, we had a group of four to five business owner couples. And it was on Zoom calls. We had like, we did like, took them to an eight week pilot course basically. And it was all on Zoom because everybody was all over the country. And literally five minutes before we got on this one Zoom call, Kaylee brings up an issue. I mean, literally five minutes before the call. And I'm like, looking at it like, what? You want to talk about this now? (laughs) So so I'm like, and of course, you're like, we can't fake getting on screen. (laughs) We all like we love each other, right? So we had to address it really, really quick. And sometimes it wasn't like the issue got resolved in those five minutes, but what it was, was we had enough time for us to say, what do we need to talk about? And after the call, we'll we'll talk about it, but right now now is not the good time, but what's the issue? What do we need to talk about? Okay, and then we agree to, at the end of the call, then we can talk about it. And so that alleviates her concern because she brings it up because she wants to get it off her head. But if I try to like put it under the rug and just dismiss it, it's really going to upset her, Right. But we came to agreement that, yes, this is important. Probably we're not going to resolve it in five minutes, but, okay, let's talk about it in right after the call. And so the resolution in those five minutes was we are going to talk about it, and this is when we're going to do it. There was a timetable in which we're going to do it. I didn't just leave it hanging, right, which is what a lot of couples do. So we'll talk about it later, right? That's kind of a typical response. So that way we're able to get on the call, and we shared it with our group, because I think it was a week on conflict resolution. <laughs> Interesting, right? God always gives you those opportunities, right? To practice what you're preaching. And so Heck literally nice. the topic for that week was conflict resolution. So we'd have to say, look, this is what just happened five minutes ago.
2: <laughs> yeah. We were able to get it to a place where we could talk about it later. And I was okay with that because we're not the type, at least I'm not, that can get on a zoom call and act like everything's rosy posy when it's not. <laughs> and so <laughs> So that was one of that was a quick one
1: that we had to. Yeah, that tested us. (laughs) That that tested what we preach, right? How do we resolve this thing in five minutes?
0: (laughs) I call that road tested. In other words, I mean, (laughs) here you are going in to talk about conflict resolution. And if I was on the Zoom call as one of your clients, I'd want to know, does this stuff work? And that example says, yes, they had to do it right in the moment here, right before they got on the call it works. I can use it at home with my spouse too. And I love the fact that sometimes you don't have the time to do a full conflict resolution at the moment, but just acknowledging that it's important and setting the follow-up time, not just we'll do it later and later never comes, you know, you actually had a plan in place. That's really important, you know, for people to be aware of, because sometimes Mm -hmm. people don't do stuff because they don't have time to do it right now. And what they could do is make a plan for doing it a little bit later. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. So, what's the other side? Maybe a story where something about how the two of you operate or your own marriage really made a difference in the positive sense.
1: We went to two years of counseling before we got married. <laughs> as you know, as we might have read in the book. This is four dates into our relationship, if you can call it a relationship at that point. But she suggests I go to counseling, right? And so, you have to read the book for the full story. But... <laughs> <laughs> but it ended up being counseling till for the two years until we actually got married. And so in that process is really what helped us gain the skills and tools necessary to be able to address the issues, because we are so different in so many ways. And so just appreciating each other's differences, and not just the fact that they're different, but where it stems from. And so our differences, the way we communicate, the way we interpret things, good or bad or, or, or indifferent, it, a lot of it is stemmed from our childhood and how we're raised. And so in that process of understanding our childhood and our upbringing and how it formed, how we see things, how we view the world, was really helpful in being able to embrace our differences even after we got married. And so just that process alone of going through, talking a little bit about our childhood experiences and, you know, whenever, you know, like something triggers each other, we go back to that. What? Why? Because usually… The like the chilies, you know, it wasn't the green chili that made us upset. It's something triggered us from childhood, because, you know, maybe because I'm so used to being criticized as a child, because my dad just always criticized me. You know, he didn't say give a lot of praise, but he gave a lot of correction. And so anything that sounds like that, you know, you just get, I get triggered. And so understanding that really helps us to be able to embrace each other's differences.
2: Well, and counseling, too, we did a lot of conflict resolution, so many tools that we didn't have growing up. Like in my family, we never, our idea of resolving conflict was like hanging up the phone on the person, walking out of the room, away from them, getting in the car, storming out of the driveway. So that doesn't make for a good (laughs) resolving conflict, if that's all you know. So we did a lot of that kind of work.
1: Yeah. So I guess the lesson there is just about get help before you need help. Right. Right, whether it's business or marriage, you know, we go to get counseling or get a consultant or whatever when things are bad. Yeah, when
0: things are so bad, they're about to be over. (laughs) Right. In fact, that was my
1: first consulting gig. Was this business that was just going under, (laughs) and so the accountant calls me in, and I'm like, "Wow, this is a big, big one for my first consulting gig." Right? Yeah, it's it's so. But at that point, a lot of times you're so ingrained in how you do things that you're more comfortable with the misery than taking a chance on something different that could potentially help you. So whether it's business or relational issues, I mean, that's what happens. It's better to get help before you really need help, because it's a lot easier to fix before you dig your heels in and say, this is how it's going to be done.
2: And be coachable too. Some people are just like, with that client you're talking about, they're like, oh no, we've always done it this way. This is how we do it. And we're like, yeah, well, it's not working anymore because you're, underwater and you're not doing well. So maybe now's the time to try something new.
0: Exactly. I just love what you're talking about now, because it goes back to what you were saying, Robert, about what you learned in the corporate world. And Kaylee, you mentioned that he was getting continuing education at work every day in terms Mm -hmm. of that process. And even what you did in the premarital counseling was continuing education for you as a couple that now you use and leverage with other people who can benefit from it. And I think a lot of times entrepreneurial couples are so much on that hamster wheel. They don't think about what they need to do to pour into themselves, whether it's through consultants or whether it's through some other form of continuing education. And yet none of us knows everything. You know, I have a PhD. I take 30 hours of continuing education every year, no matter what. You know, because the world is changing and there are new issues and and problems to leverage and i can bring all of those tools you know to everything that i'm doing so i think you're bringing up something that's really important if you want to succeed in life you got to continue to learn and grow
1: absolutely and sometimes it's not even gaining more knowledge but it's really being able to recognize blind spots right they call them blind spots for a reason you can't see them <laughs> <laughs> right exactly so a lot of times like in my mastermind group or whether it's counseling mastermind group or even we even have a client their marriage and family therapist and sometimes we're bringing things that they already teach right to their clients but we're bringing it to them to recognize because they don't see it for themselves and so certainly it happens for for me as well in my own mastermind group the things that they're suggesting are things that I yeah I know that <laughs> I just yeah. haven't done it. <laughs> you you share it it. with other people (laughs) Exactly. So, (laughs) all right I just I just laugh and go "Uh (laughs) uh-huh I got it I got it
0: (laughs) well and I think that's important too it's having the own spirit of being coachable yourself as consultants and that helps you to be better consultants as well in terms of the clients that you're coming alongside every day and making a difference in their lives so yeah, thank you for, for sharing some of those vulnerable places and moments as well, because people have to know, okay, they're real, they have real issues too, and they have developed some tools and learned some tools that can make a difference and that can really help. So let's talk a little bit about your book. I have a copy of it here with me, a book called Tandem. And when I'm looking at the cover of it, there's this, what we used to call back in the day, a bicycle built for two is mm-hmm. right on the front mm-hmm. cover. And so metaphorically speaking, what are some of the skills about riding a bicycle built
1: for two that's
0: different than when you're riding solo?
1: <laughs> oh, wow. It's a good thing. We we rode our first tandem bike while we are on our national book tour. We had never ridden a tandem Ooh. bike when we, before we wrote the book. And so one of my friends, who happens to be in my mastermind group, said, hey, if you're cruising through Houston, stop by. We'll throw you a party. And he, him and his wife have a tandem bike. So we got on it. Right. We we have to have a pictures for that and stuff. So we got on it and I'm like, I get it now. <laughs> so <laughs> there's so many, insight. there's so many metaphors. And so just cause you're on a bike built for two and you're welded together, but if you're not really working in sync together, it can be a struggle because you're on a bike, but you have two people on the bike, but as I'm leaning the turn, I can tell she's not leaning with me. I it's, it's struggled to get into the turn. And if I'm trying to get out of the turn and she's not going with me, I feel like we're going to fall. And so those are the two things I saw right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if she's not pedaling with me, I can tell. Because now I'm pedaling for two people, right? It's too much work. Yeah. Yeah. So truly, you can tell, especially from the front, right? And this is a metaphor even for leadership, that you can tell when people aren't helping you in the, in the rear. And how do you get in sync with each other, right? And it's not about... I'm in the front, she's in the back, but you really have to work together in sync for the both of you to get to the destination intact.
0: And I love this metaphor, by the way. And I remember the first time I rode a bicycle built for two and I was like, oh, okay, there's a a little bit of an art and science to this process Uh in order to get it together. But however, if you really are tracking together in the way that you're talking about, then it's easier to do. And it's fun. It's fun and it's easy to do. So tell us what's in this book. Who's it for? What will they get out of it if they read it?
1: As it states, Tandem, The Married Entrepreneur's Guide for Greater Work-Life Balance. But they don't have to work together in business, but a lot of our clients do. But regardless if you're working the business together or not, the business is a central point in the relationship because it's either going to enhance or detract the relationship, right? So you're both in business together. It's not about if you work in it together or not. You're both in business together and the business part of your life. So how do you do life well and how does the business complement your life, not the other way around? And so too many times in business, we have a business plan, we have a vision for the future for the business, and we're all in on that, but we don't necessarily have clarity on vision for our life. And so what happens is everything's focused on the business and we're just reacting to life on the outside. We're trying to fit our life into business as opposed to the other way around. And so really is how to have a create a life vision for your personal life as well as your business, and how do you do both well? So it's, a lot of stuff we talked about just in this interview is in the book, conflict resolution, communication, all that stuff. But then even in the business, how do you position structure the business so it actually can scale, with beyond the capacity of the business owner, which means the business owner, even if they grow or not, they're going to get more time back to be able to invest in their relationships. Right?
0: Well, this is great. And I can say this much about it. It's a well-written book. It's a fun yeah. book to read. And there are personal stories in here from both Robert and Kaylee, and you'll get to see the backstory about her telling him to go to counseling. All of that. <laughs> yeah, <speech>. yeah. <laughs> that's
1: worth the price of admission.
0: Yeah. Right that's where, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a great book. Thank you so much for writing it. and. I also know that it has application for corporate leaders who I mostly work with because they, too, can get underwater in business as well Mm -hmm. and not prioritizing the family. So thank you so much for sharing that resource. How can people reach you and get a hold of you?
1: Well, you can just email us, info at powercouplesbydesign.com, or you can go to our website, marriedentrepreneur.co, and there's also our podcast, Power Up Your Marriage and Business or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, the same handle, Power Couples by Design. Um, so those are a variety of ways you can you can reach us and stay and connect with us.
0: Thank you for sharing that. We'll put a couple of those in the show notes as well, so that people can have a way to get in touch. And what additional words of wisdom do you want to share with my community of corporate executives? You've shared a lot already. There may be something else out there, some pithy thing you'd like to leave them with.
1: Well, don't believe the lie that you have to sacrifice your family life, your relationships for the success of your career, your business. You can't have both. It's just a matter of being intentional about it, right? You're going to, in business, you're going to, if things aren't working well in the business, you're going to figure out a way to fix it, to make it better and to do, and to succeed. But when things, times are struggling in, in their marriage and their family, a lot of times you're not putting that same emphasis and passion into fixing it and making it better. So do both well. The same passion you have for seeing your company and your business succeed, bring it at home too. And if you do that intentionally, you'll succeed at both.
2: And I want to say be intentional about your family because most likely you already have a business plan. But be intentional about having a family plan, having some fun, deciding what that looks like because we are so much stronger together and we can go so much further and faster. So we want you to win at business and win at family.
0: Amen. Thank you both. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Kaylee, for being here with me today. I appreciate you being guest on the show.
1: Thank you, Dr. Karen. It was a privilege. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yes.
2: Thank you, Dr. Karen. It's great. You
0: are welcome. So we'll close today's show with some, some scriptures, and these come from Luke, the 14th chapter, starting with verse 28. And it says, For which of you intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now, Jesus was talking about this picture and example in terms of people deciding Are you really going to be committed to follow him? Are you willing to pay the price to pay the cost? And what we're really saying is when you're building a business, when you're building a marriage, when you're building a family, you want to look at all of the aspects too. look at it ahead of time and plan it out. As Robert and Kaylee have said in advance here today, make a plan, make it work, think about it ahead of time and be successful in both because you can. Thank you for being here. See you next time. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan, for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.